Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, would you, and please open them to Hebrews chapter 13. We'll start there in verse 7, Hebrews 13, verse 7, and also 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Hebrews 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and a Bible study that I've entitled, The Joy of Supporting Our Spiritual Leaders. There is great joy in supporting our spiritual leaders. It's a necessity for us to be the type of men and women, the followers of Christ, that support the men and women that God has placed in leadership over our lives. And so here we are at the finish line for Hebrews. You know, some of it, you know, you look at the book of Hebrews and think it's one of the most difficult books in the Bible to understand. It certainly was a challenging book to study and teach, but we've learned over the years now that studying Hebrews isn't as hard as people make it out to be. There are a couple of different chapters that are challenging, but the overarching message of Hebrews is the superiority of Jesus Christ and the importance of Jesus in our lives. And last time we were together, we learned how we're to treat our spiritual leaders. And we learned in verse seven of Hebrews 13 that we're to remember those that rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Then we learned, as you jump down to verse 17, we learn to obey those that rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, that you would, for that would be unprofitable for you. And then we learn in verse 24, greet those who rule over you and all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. So we learned last time that God chooses the leaders he puts in our lives. He chooses the leaders he puts in our lives for our sanctification, for our spiritual growth, for us to become more Christ-like. We're to remember them, we're to greet them, we're to submit to them, we're to obey them. We're to follow their lead biblically, spiritually, and practically. Well, we need to pause there and say for, you know, we're not to worship our leaders. We're not to elevate them to some celebrity status. We're not to follow or submit to ungodly, unbiblical, or sinful leadership, no. But we are to obey their teachings as they line up with the scriptures. Let me give you a perspective as a leader where Paul is writing to Pastor Titus and he tells Titus this, listen, he says this in Titus 2.15. Speak the things that exhort, he says, speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. So it's almost as if he's giving Titus a warning, hey, ministry is going to be hard, and you're going to have to say hard things. You're going to have to warn people. You're going to have to tell them the truth. You're going to have to deal with difficult things. So when you do, Titus, do it. Don't shy away from it. And even to some degree, he says, don't let anyone despise you. For Timothy, he told Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. But for Titus, he said, don't let anyone despise you for being a leader. As you lead them, the response in some folks will be up being upset with you. 
They'll be mad at you. They might look down at you. They might fight you on it. They might despise you. And for Titus, he's like, hey, don't let that happen. Continue to lead. Because you know what happens when people put in a position of leadership? When things get tough, the temptation to compromise comes. The temptation to water down things comes. The temptation to soften and not speak the truth sometimes. Because, I mean, who wants to be despised their whole life? But any good leader, any good pastor will not have his eyes on the people. He will have his eyes on the Lord who was despised of men and and who was looked down upon, who was treated miserably. And those of you that are pastors listening in, those of you that are spiritual leaders, you have to understand it's part of the package. It's difficult to serve. But see, my responsibility is to watch out for you. Spiritually, my responsibility is to watch out. The Bible tells me that I have a role in watching out for your soul. And if I have a responsibility to watch out for your soul, then I must tell you the truth. And I must give you what you need to hear in the moment and lead you well, not only in word, but also in deed. That not only would you listen to me and those that serve alongside of me, but also you would follow us. As Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And there is a relationship that goes between us. And just as church leaders are to rule and oversee in love and humility, those under their leadership are to submit in love and humility. And here's the goal. So that leaders can lead with joy and not grief. Because spiritual leadership is hard enough. And the admonition today for us is to be one less problem in the body of Christ. And know that you have a role and a position in the body of Christ to support your leaders. So the question today is how? How how do I do that practically? How do I choose? And when I choose to be a support to my, how do I do that? What are some practical things that I can do that will bless and encourage and strengthen the spiritual leaders that God has placed into my life? To be a joy and not a grief. Well, turn your attention to 1 Thessalonians now, chapter 5, and I want to add to what we saw last time. There's some real practical things that God gives to us as believers in Jesus on how we can support our spiritual leaders. And I have to admit this morning, I have to admit today that as I teach this Bible study, that it can sound rather self-serving. It's an uncomfortable study in some ways. Because as you're listening to it, you might think, well, yeah, here it is, Pastor Ed setting everything up for himself and telling us how to treat him. And and I'm not. I'm simply opening the Bible to you and teaching it. I I want you to understand this. I want you to receive it. it. It's not merely for me as a pastor. I also have leaders in my life. And I also have a pastor and men that have poured into my life. And they deserve my respect and my honor and my submission to them. That we have a relationship. And I'm not the only pastor here. There are 12 men right now. I still have a couple openings. We have 12 men serving alongside of me. Not only that, but we have their wives and their kids serving this church. Not only that, we have lay leaders serving. Like it's not simply for me or to me. It's for us. And I have a responsibility to teach you the Bible. You need to know this and you need to obey this. Especially in the days in which we live. I would even say this, even though it can be a little difficult, I would say this, this study's not for me, it's for our community. 
Because what this community needs is a church that's at peace. What this community needs is a church that gets along. What this community needs is a light on a hill that spreads the gospel so that when they look at us, like, oh, another angry group of people, another group of people that's only known what they're against. They got some, what's their hobby horse, this. Instead, what this community needs is a church that is focused, laser, laser focused on the gospel and reaching this community. And so learning these things will help us get along internally so that when we do leave, Our testimony and our witness to this community is a powerful one of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ among us. Imperfect, of course, but abiding in Christ. As the family of God, our hearts must be to support, love, help, and hold up our spiritual leaders. And our time together is an essential ingredient in your spiritual growth as we come together. Notice with me first. Thessalonians chapter 5, pick up there in verse 12 with me. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. We have more instruction now on how to respond, how to have a deep abiding relationship with the Lord and the leaders that he has placed over us. Now, I like the phrase over us because it implies someone that is higher than another. Not higher in value or even in importance, but when you think of someone over you, what do you do to someone over you? You look up to them. And I believe there is a relational aspect of leadership where leaders are looked up to. That's why there's a greater responsibility given to leadership. That's why there's a greater accountability given to leadership. That's why the Bible says that not many of you become teachers. Why? Because you'll receive the stricter judgment. And so the idea of rule of being over you doesn't mean that we control you, that we own you, or that we, not at all, but it does imply that there is a sense of people in the church that you look up to. And who knows, you may be the next man, the next woman that's going to be in a position of leadership that people will look up to you. So you're looking up, and there are those that the Bible just wants us to know there's order in the church, and there is leadership in the church. It's vital, it's necessary, has to happen. We have to have leaders in our lives. And God has established leadership in his church. And when we all work well together, amazing things happen. (laughs) When we we are in unity and the spirit of God's moving among us, amazing victories are accomplished. I don't have time to develop it today in Bible study, but let me give it to you. You can read it later. Exodus chapter 17. The scene is a battle scene between the enemies of God and Israel. And there we have the characters, the main characters, Moses, who's leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. You have Joshua, his assistant. So you could say the relationship between Joshua and Moses is Moses is over Joshua. Joshua looks up to him. And then you have Joshua, the general, he's leading the army into the battle. So when he goes down into the valley, Moses goes up to the mountaintop. 
And there it is where Joshua is fighting. Moses is up on the mountaintop, often, uh, often a picture and type of prayer. And the Bible says in Exodus 7 that as long as Moses' arms were up, there was victory in the valley. But that as his arms were up, they became heavy, which then were introduced to two other men, Aaron and Hur, H-U-R. Aaron and Hur notice that they notice this going down. When his arms are up, victory. When his arms start to get tired, defeat. So they make a decision. They go and get a rock. They sit Moses on it. And either one, Aaron and Hur on either side, they come alongside Moses. And what do they do? They hold up his arms. And they recognize that Moses needed help. So that as Joshua is doing his part, Moses is doing his part, Aaron and Hur on either side of Moses are doing their part, as everyone was doing the part that God had for them, there was victory. And God did get the victory that day. And I like to share as we're discipling here, there'll be times when I'm sharing about holding up the arms of your leader. We have a responsibility to hold up the arms of our leaders and our pastors, to see the weariness and the tiredness and to recognize, I think I can help here. I want to be a help here. I don't want to be a harm. I want to be a help. And so we may take that position of holding up our pastors or holding up our leaders' arms. And I often share, you know, it's important for us to learn that we're to hold each other's arms up. And the last thing that I need as a pastor is for people to go around hanging on my arms and being a hindrance and making things harder for me and more challenging. Like if we're the body of Christ, I wanna live my life to make things easier for you, and I want you to live your life to make things easier for me, because we're on the same team, church. We're in this together. We're here to fight the forces of darkness, not one another. And that's what the Bible's teaching us, that we don't need to be in an adversarial relationship. We're on the same team. You have a role, I have a role, our leadership has a role, servants have a role, and when everyone does their part, there's victory and God gets the glory. With all that in mind now, how do we do this? Here's number one, category number one. How are we a joy? How do we experience joy in supporting our leaders? Number one, we esteem them very highly. Now, you may not use the word esteem very much. How about this? We respect them. We honor them. Now here's a problem. Historically, the church has wavered between two extremes when it comes to its leadership. Extreme number one is that one side of the church has elevated leaders almost to the point of worshiping them and making them untouchable saints or untouchable celebrities. And it's sinful, it's not from the Lord. There are no celebrities in the church. We're all, and maybe you are a celebrity today. Maybe you have some influence in our city. Uh, you know, maybe you, you're, you're famous and God used, it's great. God has elevated you to a place where he can use you to reach more people for the gospel. But in this room, no celebrities. We're all the same. We're followers of Christ. That's, there, there's no celebrity among us. And that's an extreme. Leaders are not to be worshiped. They're not to be placed in a category that's different than you. They're not to be placed on pedestals. They're believers, like I think in my own life. I'm a believer. I was a believer before I was a pastor. Uh, pastor is my role. That's my responsibility. But it's not who I am. Who I am is a surrendered saint to Jesus. That's who I am. I, I am a wretched sinner that God graciously saved. And a pastor, teacher, that's the role and gifting that God has given to me. But that's not who I am. 
And so we don't want to elevate pastors and teachers to some untouchable, saying, you know, this was not just a 21st century issue. It happened in the first century. Remember Jesus writing to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2? He commended that church for not buying into the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And you're like, Nicolaitans? While there's a lot of debate on what that doctrine is, most scholars conclude that it was a doctrine that was the beginning of the separation of the laity and the priests. So that now, you know, there's normal people and then there's the priests. And it was just separation. You know, that's still with us today in some organized religions where, hey, there's a certain group of people, untouchable, put them up in stained glass, make saints out of them, and everyone else, we're just regular, ordinary folk, and we'll never. No, the Bible says we're all saints. The Bible speaks of us all being valuable in the eyes of God. And the difference between us is really in the realm of authority that's delegated by God and responsibility. And it is great responsibility. It is challenging. The other extreme is this. The other extreme is equally dangerous, and that's when people choose not to respect leaders. When people choose not to respect or honor, listen, or even listen to leadership and become very rebellious. And so I went through, in the years that I've been a pastor, I've experienced a lot of this, uh, because when I share something, folks don't like it or don't want to hear it, or there's at odds in the Bible, you know, I'm trying to open a Bible to them and they get mad at me. And so I'm, I'm going to give you some things that I've personally experienced over the years. I don't need to make them up. Where in a difficult, tense time, someone will come to me and ask me this question. They'll say, who are you to me? Just like that. Who are you to me? Well, let me answer that for you. Uh, it's really a twofold answer. Number one, I'm nobody. Let's just settle it. I'm nobody. I'm just a guy following God. I'm not any better than you, not more important than you. I'm nobody. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's it. I'm nobody. But let me give you the second part of the answer. Because you say, who are you to me? I could also answer you this. I'm a pastor in the church of Jesus Christ, opening the Bible to you and telling you the truth and compelling you to listen to what God says about your life. That's equally, that's who I am. I am a pastor. God has given me insight in his word for the situation in your life. Now, you want to listen to me, don't want to listen to me, that's your problem. But I'm going to tell you what I need to tell you for the situation in your life. You want, you want to know why? I'm going to give account to God for my interaction with you. And I would hope, I know people get really upset, but I would hope from a pastor, you would want us to tell you the truth. Yes? You, that's what a person that loves you does. That's what a person that cares about you does. So let me give you another one. Let me give you another one because I'm going to take these, I'm going to ask these and then, I'm, then since I'm going to give you the answer already, you never ask me this ever again. All right, here's number two. Not only is who are you to me, but how about this one? Why should I listen to you? Hmm, good question. Let me answer it for you. Why should you listen to me? And again, this isn't a tense situation where you don't like what I said. Why should I listen to you? Who are you? I'll tell you why you should listen to me. Because the Bible says you should listen to me. That's why. The Bible says. Oh, it's not just me. Here's what the Bible teaches. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. So the fact that listening to me doesn't mean I'm going to be right all the time. It doesn't mean I'm going to hit a grand slam all the time. But I'll tell you why you should listen to me. You should listen to me because the Bible says, test all things. Hold fast to what is good. 
And if you chose to blow me off, if you choose to ignore me as a pastor in the church of Jesus Christ, you go, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't apply to me, then it's your responsibility because the Bible tells you to test all things and to receive it into your life. And if I happen to be wrong, then that's going to lead to another conversation, isn't it? And it's going to lead to humility in my life to say, well, what did I miss? And let's talk about this because my heart is not to get my point across. My heart is for you to be in a right relationship with Jesus. That's all that matters. Let me give you another one. How about this? You're not God. And that's an easy answer. You're right. (laughs) And you should be really, really happy I'm not God because this world would be upside down if God gave me, of course I'm not God. I have no desire to be God. I have no desire to live your life for you either. I want to give you the wisdom of God so that you'll live your life and you'll honor God with it. Because if you choose to continue, listen, if you choose to continue to live in sin, it's going to wreck you. It's going to destroy you. And you know, we'll be there for you to pick you up and we'll be there for you to help you. We'll be there for you when you choose to come back. When you choose to repent, we'll be there for you. But it doesn't have to be that bad. You can repent today. So my heart is not to get my point across, is you can listen to me or not. My point is to get God's, my my goal is to get God's point across and let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Let me give you one more that has been brought to me. I don't have to submit to you. Well, that's a dangerous statement because unless I'm sinning against you, unless I'm giving you something unbiblical, If this is your spiritual home, you do need to submit to me. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, that submission is not unhealthy, and I'm not demanding it. I'm just telling you, if we're to have a right relationship together, submission is part of it. And we've studied that before. There's mutual submission, too. I'm not here. I'm here as a believer as well. There's mutual submission. Listen, there's a relationship between the leadership and the flock that requires two things, mutual trust and mutual submission. And that just happens between us. But to cop an attitude where I don't have to submit to you, and here's what happens. People take, you know, they get mad, I don't submit to you, I don't have to do it, I'm gonna go to that other church. Well, let me tell you something. When you get to that other church, if it's a real, true, God-honoring church, the same issues you had here, you're gonna have there. You're not gonna run away from your issues you go, well, you know, it was Ed, Ed, Ed. But maybe it was. But if you don't resolve it biblically, you're going to take it to the next church with you. And then you're going to get mad at that pastor. Well, I don't have to submit to you. And then you start going from church to church, all upset, all mad, all bitter. You won't submit to anyone. Whose problem is that? Well, it's yours and ours. Because you're our brother. You're our sister. And if the enemy can get you all bitter and angry and making submission an issue and just, I don't like that, I don't like, then you hurt yourself. And then when the Bible, the Bible says when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. And it hurts the mission of Jesus. That's the issue. It it hurts the mission of reaching the lost with the gospel. And we want to be careful of all of these extremes. And let me just say, these two extremes as well can be taken by the leaders. So it's not just 
everyone else, the pastors and leaders can make meaningful, extreme mistakes too. Pastors, you know, demanding to be treated like a celebrity, demanding special treatment, feeling entitled. I mean, I was reading recently, there's a church that, that segregated a section of their seating, which was basically up front, for VIPs. So if you were a VIP, then you got to, let me just set the record straight. There is not a VIP in the house today, ever. There is no, there are no VIPs at all. And if we did have a section reserved for VIPs, it would be empty until the coming of Jesus Christ, because he's the only VIP that's available. That's nonsense. There, there was even in this, in this uh, church gathering, you know, they had, because we have a room in the back. It's called a green room. It's where worship teams get together. They prepare. They get a little breather before they come. There's green rooms. So there is such a thing. But this particular church had a green room of a green room of a green room. What was only specifically for a few people, celebrities, personal invites, you know, red carpet treatment where they were like, the Bible is absolutely does not teach that. And it's certainly not that way here. We are all on the journey together. We don't have special chairs on the stage for special people. There are no special people here. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches Jesus said that the way up in God's kingdom is actually down, not the other way around. That if you really want to be great in God's kingdom, and I think you do, and I certainly do, then I need to learn to be the servant of all. That's God's heart for us. And so the extremes can be taken from us as well as leaders, and we want to stay away. Some, uh, whether it's demanding celebrity status or, or some pastors, they take and they're just hard on people, and they're harsh, and they mistreat the flock, and they, run, they, they rule the church with an iron fist. I, I heard one pastor describe it as a benevolent dictatorship. If you're a part of a church where the leadership is a benevolent dictatorship, get out of that church. That is not the model of Jesus. There is no dictatorship. We're in this together, and we serve together. The difference is responsibility. And even the responsibility that I have today to stand before you and teach God's word, the, the authority that I come, the authority that I have is delegated authority. It's God's authority. And it's not to be taken lightly. And it's not for me to share opinions and thoughts. It's for me to give you the word of God and deliver it in such a way where the heart and intent of God hits your heart and changes your intent so that you and I can grow together. So it's not just you, we as leaders and leadership structures can also fail. The Bible teaches you not to worship or despise your leaders, but to recognize them, it says, to esteem them highly, to respect them. Why? Well, notice in verse 12, because they labor. That word means, if you want to circle it, you can write next to it, work to exhaustion or fatigue. Ministry is hard. When Paul was writing Timothy, he told them, he told Timothy, if you desire to be an overseer, you desire a good work. It's work, literally work, to the point of tiredness and fatigue. Not only that, but, but also the first 13 for their work's sake. So the word labor in the Greek literally speaks of the end result, fatigue, but the word work speaks of all the little things that leads to fatigue. It's like the Holy Spirit wants us to know this is hard. I know it's easy to look at ministry and to look at those in ministry and think labor. I mean, what do you do all week? I mean, seriously, what do you do? And a lot, a lot of our interaction is simply right now, right? I'm up here for 45 minutes talking and you're like, I could talk for 45 minutes. 
But ministry is very, very challenging and difficult. And depending on how much responsibility you have, it only increases, it doesn't decrease. And, and that's why there are men and families and people here to help me because I couldn't possibly do it all alone. Ne- never could, never will be. And there's a lot of pressure put on pastors and such, but they're working their hearts. They labor, it's hard, it's challenging. You know, occasionally someone will send in, you know, I called the church and I didn't get a call back. And I always default, well, there's probably a good reason for that because everyone's trained to call back. Maybe they had a long week. Maybe they had a difficult week. Maybe they uh, did a memorial service, but, but out of that memorial service, it just wiped them out and depleted them emotionally. And you didn't get the call back when you needed or, or even on me personally, you know, it's like, hey, well, Pastor Ed didn't call me back. Well, you know, I'm sure there was a good reason. It's not because I didn't want to, but I can't possibly call back every single person all the time. And and you go, well, Ed, you need it. It's you. You're the pastor. You should, you know, only you can give me advice. That's not true. The guys here, very faithful. Uh, The lay leaders here. I mean, you think of the labor of just the guys that are on staff. Think about the lay leaders here. Those men and women that work 40, 50 hours, 60 hours a week, uh, working in the world, whatever there was, like many of us did before we came on staff. And then they come on Tuesday night and do a class. Or they come on Friday night or Saturday morning. They serve on Sunday service. Like, it's work. Anyone served in a church, it is work. It's labor. And because of that alone, we're not to make it harder. Or not to make it harder. I remember this clicked in my mind when I was back at Calvary Chapel in Downey. The eight years that I was there, I worked a full-time job and I served in a very full-time capacity at that church, eventually being the singles pastor there before I left. But I was working full-time, 24-hour-a-day job. I mean, I didn't work 24 hours a day, but I was always on call, always things going on. You never know when things are going to happen. And it was just like, in my mind, I remember God clicked in me that I got this thought, and I think it was inspired by this passage in particular, that anytime my name came up, maybe with, this, with my overseeing pastors or in a staff meeting, I just felt like anytime my name came up, I wanted to be positive and not negative. I didn't want my name to come up and go, oh, it's Ed again. When's he going to get it? Why doesn't he listen? Why doesn't, uh, I didn't want that. I want, with my name came up, I wanted to be a blessing to my pastor's ears. I wanted him to think to, to entrust more things to me, not less. I wanted him to know that I was there for him, that that God had called me to that church and saved me to support him and encourage him and to come alongside and make life easier for him. Because if I could take a few things away from his responsibility, that would free him up to do more on what God called him to do. And together, we could serve. And there's just a healthiness when we partner together in the ministry. One of the ways that we describe it here at Calvary is that the unity among us is so important that we must lock shields together like the Romans did in battle. They locked shields and then they went for it forward and they went together. It wasn't an individual thing. So let's look at some practical things before we leave. We esteem our leaders highly. They're worthy of it. Again, not be, let's be careful when we talk. It's not sin. You don't approve of sin. You don't overlook sin. You, you, don't, go, you, you don't ignore it. We, we, we have a, the Bible tells us how to handle problems in the church. It's called Matthew 18. Jesus said, go to him, you and him alone. Share your offense. If your brother hears you, you've won your brother. So we don't overlook abuse. We don't overlook mistreatment. No, never, ever, never. But aside from those sinful qualities, when there is good, 
godly spiritual leadership in a church, that is to be matched by good godly spiritual submission. Those two go together and we grow together. So notice now in the end of verse 13, one of the greatest things you can do uh, to be a help and support to your pastor is to be at peace among yourselves. <laughs> that, that would be beautiful. If you would just be at peace among yourselves. That includes your marriage. Just be at peace in your marriage. Be at peace with your kids. Be at peace with your in-laws. Be at peace at work. I, I've, I've had many calls come through the church over the years of somebody at an employer, some coworker calls in and says, you know, I've been dealing with this guy, he, and he says he goes to your church. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. <laughs> but like your testimony matters. You're wearing that little hoodie or giving away that magazine or dropping that pen somewhere. Your testimony matters. And so the best thing you can do is be at peace with one another. That would, that would relieve so much tension and pressure in any church. Be at peace. Don't fight one another. Don't backbite. Don't gossip. Don't, like, let's be at peace with one another. And then he gives some practical ways to do that. So he says in verse 14, we exhort you, or we strongly encourage you, or you could say, I beg you. This is so important. Number one, warn those who are unruly. That's our responsibility. That's not just the pastor's. You have a responsibility to warn the unruly. And then every church, there are unruly people. People that are disruptive. People that are hurting others. You might refer to them as wolves in sheep's clothing. You might refer to them to the gossips, the ones that are always uh, backbiting, those are stirring up strife. Or maybe in the world, what do we use that phrase? Always those pot stirrers. You know there are pot stirrers in our church too. You, you know what you're supposed to do when you meet a pot stirrer? Warn them, exhort them, tell them, what are you doing? That doesn't reflect the, the mind of Christ. I think even more so, you know what's happened in this in the last 10 years, the last 10, 15 years, is that social media has created a group of unruly Christians that are posting things that are absolutely antithetical to the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus. And not only are people posting that, but Christians are agreeing with it. They go, yeah, 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 yeah. And your responsibility is warn them. You, go, you might do a private message. You could do a public review, but a private message, what are you doing? Why are you lying? Why are you gossiping? Why are you saying this? Where is that in the Bible? But instead, if you're not careful, it's that our flesh is just so sneaky that maybe an unruly person on social media has made you unruly. And then we as pastors have to deal with the fallout of that to keep people's eyes on the Lord. So we need to warn them. Secondly, notice he says, we're also to comfort the faint-hearted. You want to help your leaders be a comfort to the faint-hearted in your church. Just as there are unruly people among us, there's probably far more faint-hearted people among us. The, the word literally means soft-souled. There's a sensitivity about that person. You know, you could say that their emotions go up and down like a roller coaster. And you know well as I do that there's no one size fits all for Christians. We all have different emotional makeups and different, different approaches to life. And some are just more in tune with their emotions than others. And because of that, they go up and down and they're hurt very easily. What's our responsibility? 
Our responsibility is not to make fun of them or try to change them. Or Our responsibility is to comfort them. You could do a lot of good in this church if you would learn to comfort the faint-hearted. Not to look down on them, but rather to put, them, put your arm around them. Encourage them. You know, th- th- those that easily are discouraged. Those that want to quit. Those are more soft-souled. We're not to write them off. You're important. Maybe that's you today. I just want to validate and remind you of your importance in the body of Christ. That God gave you your emotions. Yeah, sometimes they're sideways, up and down. Uh, Yeah, I, I understand. I actually literally understand that on a personal level. But God is faithful. And you're needed here. That sensitivity, you sense things that we don't sense. We want you here. And I pray that you meet people that will comfort you and encourage you in this journey that you're on. It'll help your leaders. Thirdly, notice it says, uphold the weak. We have a responsibility to uphold the weak. These are Christians that are younger perhaps, maybe newer believers, or maybe just not matured through the years. They need our help, they need us to help them stand strong in the grace of God. the, The idea is to hold fast the weak and not let them fall to come alongside to rescue them. And if they do fall, you know, the Bible says, though a man fall seven times, he'll rise again. Sometimes that rising again is because another believer came and helped them up. It's not like just got up on their own, but that we're there to look for those that have fallen or fallen away and to minister to them and uphold them and keep them strong, putting your arm around them so you're a string. Some in the church need this almost constantly. Some for just a short period of time. You know, when a huge crisis hits, you need help. Your sin is beating you down, you need help. The problem is, is that people just aren't willing to admit it. And so they live in this torturous life of keeping things inside. Let's be the church where people can admit their weaknesses so we can help them and not look down on them and belittle them. makes me so mad when I hear pastors, and even in a joking matter, belittle people that Jesus died for. You're no joke to the Lord. You're important. You're valued. And the church can be much stronger as we realize that together. And we grow in grace. And then notice what Paul says at the end. He says, here's another exhortation. Be patient with all. Uh, That's really great. This is really encouraging to me. Because some of these other actions, you know, the Spirit's going to lead you. But this one, be patient with all. It's so good that God requires from us something that he already gave us. Remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. Some translations, long-suffering. Man, that will help your pastors and leaders so much if you would just live patiently with each other, giving each other room to grow, to fail, to falter. Just being patient with one another. I, I think in this last year, facing the pandemic and such, has given our church a few gifts And one of them is, our approach in the very beginning was what? We encouraged three things in the very beginning, and they're not going to leave just because the pandemic ends. And that is, we're going to show preference to one another, we're going to be patient with one another, and we're going to live in humility toward each other. I mean, that's not just for crisis, that's for life. I mean, some of you, if you look in front of the chairs, you probably still have a sign hanging in there that's still there, because we're not leaving that. We're going to keep those attributes as an emphasis of our ministry because that's what God needs in great crisis, but that, not, not what God needs, but what he requires in great crisis, but also in everyday life. Be patient with all. 
And then he ends with the biggest one, doesn't he? He says, see that no one, verse 15, renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. So don't render evil for evil. Revenge is such a natural response when you're hurt. So I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get revenge. The problem is, is that's not the heart of God, number one. And number two, even if you did get the kind of revenge you're looking for, you won't be satisfied. And neither will you be healed. Because here's what happens, you're already hurt and already experienced great trauma. When you enact trauma and hurt to the one that hurt you, you're just adding sin upon sin. And you're having your own issues. Now you have to deal with. Revenge is very simply not from the Lord. We're not to repay evil for evil. But rather we're to live in the love and the agape of Jesus. It's not the way of Jesus. I'm telling you right now, evil for evil is not what Jesus taught. Neither is it what he demonstrated. Jesus demonstrated that the reward for the evil perpetrated upon him was he willingly died. He wasn't hanging on the cross fighting for his rights. He wasn't hanging on the cross calling for protest. He was hanging on the cross ministering to the guy next to him, which we kind of see that in some way where it was very clean and antiseptic. But remember, Jesus was hanging on the cross, grasping for breath, beaten to a pulp where you couldn't even recognize him unless you saw him, unless you knew him previously. And he's choosing to lose, use his last breaths and words to minister to the people that are watching us. This is so important to esteem our leaders highly in love, very highly, and also to exercise our spiritual gifts to practically love each other. So let me say as we close that looking back at the 21 plus years that I've had the privilege of serving this church, it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of this church. I'm grateful for all the people that have come through through the years that we've been able to serve and minister to Are we a perfect church? No, no. I'm here, you're here, enough said. (laughs) Of course not. But you know, it's just been a very gracious fellowship. Not, Not everybody, but most. There have been those that have left and been upset. There are those that go and write all kinds of nonsense and false accusations on Facebook and all that stuff. That's that the Lord's gonna have to deal with them. But that's a very, very small percentage of the many people we've got to serve over the years. You've been very gracious for, with my family. You know, I think of that phrase, pastor kids. Do you know how much I hate that phrase? It's not fair. They're not pastor's kids. They're kids. They're kids. That's it. They're kids. And for the most part in this church, except for a few exceptions, this church has been very gracious to my children. And I've been able to raise them into adulthood. You know, when you treat kids like pastor kids, you know what you do? You create this resentment and anger in a child where like, they, they, they have the great privilege of being in a pastor's family, but then people put pressure on them. And people, you can't act like that. Well, why not? Because you're a pastor's kid. And they're like, but I'm just a kid. I'm just a kid. I'm sorry. I didn't know what else to do. What do pastor's kids do anyway? And everyone has this opinion. But this church has been very gracious. And even though I've raised my kids into adulthood, it's still very important to me that you treat the kids that that are in pastor's families here as regular kids because a lot of the pastors have little kiddos that they're raising. 
And they're not anything different than your kids. And our approach to kids is suffer the little children to come unto me, Jesus said. Kids are important. And we don't treat them like pastor's kids. They're just ready. And how you've treated my wife. Another phrase is pastor's wife. Well, no, she's my wife. She was my wife before we got saved. She was my wife after we got saved. She was my wife before I was a pastor. She's just my wife. And she's a very valuable part of the community here. But she's not anything different because she's my wife. She's just a woman that loves God, has her, has their ups and has her downs. And she's, and I've always appreciated this church has been very, very gracious to our family. And I would expect that to be continued on in the men and women that serve with us. Sure, people go out and they take, you know, what, what would possess a person to go on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and start to slam the church? They think they're taking on a pastor or somebody, but listen to me, anyone that posts nonsense on Facebook toward a pastor or toward leadership, you're taking on the bride of Christ. That's what you're soiling. Imagine somebody showing up to a wedding and throwing mud at the bride. Don't you think you'd get up and tackle the guy? It's like, you can't just throw mud at the bride. What are you thinking? Get out of here. And so you need to warn the unruly when they do that. You don't want to participate in it. You don't want to be a party to gossip and slander. We want to go after the lost. And it should be obvious on its face when people are in sin that you don't want to participate and share in other people's sins. It will be devastating for you and for the body of Christ. And it will harm and hurt your leaders. Let me give you one more thing. When it comes to serving alongside the men and the families here and an accusation comes, you know, some difficulty comes, this is something that we've learned. Number one, the Bible says don't receive an accusation against an elder except one or two witnesses, two or three witnesses. Like it's not, it can't just be some errant weird thing out there. It has to have substance to it. And, and then if a substantable, a, a, an accusation or a situation of substance comes, let me tell you something. I want to encourage you to do this. Give the benefit of the doubt to the man that served you faithfully. Just give them the benefit of the doubt. It may be true. Most likely not true. Because people that want to resolve things won't do it on social media. They'll make a phone call and obey God. People that want to solve things won't send an anonymous email or an anonymous letter. People that are walking in the Spirit will do what Jesus said because Jesus is the Spirit. And so give people the benefit of the doubt in your life. Doesn't mean you dismiss things. It could be true. Maybe, maybe not. But you got to consider the source and that. So when somebody comes to you, like, if you come up and you go, I can't believe you did this, pastor so-and-so did this. You know, I'll tell you what my first response will be. Have you talked to him? Because that's what the Bible says. Have you talked to him? Don't come to me first. Go to the person, you and him alone. Share with that. Maybe he, is, maybe he or she doesn't even know what they did. And resolve it. Don't make problems your identity and become the victim the rest of your life. Make the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ your identity and live as a victorious believer enduring whatever God allows in your life. That will help your pastors and your leaders in your church. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the privilege of your word today. It's so good to be encouraged and to be reminded uh, to grow in your grace. And, you know, we're an imperfect bunch. We are. We got so much going on. Uh, but, Lord, you're faithful to us. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful because you don't deny yourself. So we pray you would pour out your spirit on us as we learn how to be men and women 
following your lead, knowing that your return is soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week 